Welcome to Highland Football Weekly with me, Ian Auld. Well, since putting out last week's episode with Darren Dodds, we're now in lockdown in Scotland and the rest of the UK. So, whether you're listening to this podcast, maybe you're taking a break from the homeschooling, maybe you're on your way in the car to do some essential shopping, or you may be even listening to the podcast during one of your permitted forms of exercise but wherever you are listening to the podcast please stay safe this week's podcast and we welcome on a bit of a scottish football legend a scottish football association hall of famer he only played for one club that was dundee united and he was a bit of a hero at tanadice played in the all-conquering dundee united side during the 80s winning the premier division title He won the Scottish Cup in the 90s with Dundee United. In fact, he captained the Arabs to their first ever Scottish Cup triumph. As a player, he also represented his country 55 times and indeed turned out at World Cup 1986 and 1990 and also the European Championships in 1992 where he starred against some of the best players in world football at the time. His coaching career took him to the Highlands in January 2009 when he became assistant manager to his good friend Terry Butcher at Inverness Cali Thistle and he went on to stay with the club for just under five years. He left in November 2013 and you'll hear on the podcast as well a little bit later on just how much of an emotional wreck he was when he had to leave the club at that period. He did come back to the club in 2017, just at the end of that season, but unable to help the club beat relegation to the championship. So sit back and enjoy some essential lockdown listening with Morris Malpass. Delighted to welcome on to the podcast this week a a real Scottish football legend, someone who spent nearly over five years in the Highlands, but is fondly remembered uh, for his spells at Tanadice as a player and coach. Morris Malpass. Morris, a very good evening to you. How are you? I'm good. Yourself? Hi. Morris, I'm... Do you know what, actually? I'm I'm really really delighted. Now, I I don't want to age anyone by any stretch of the imagination, but 96, 97, I was a kid at primary school, and you know the Pinini sticker albums? There was one year, I think it was 96, could be 97, right? And there was one sticker that I never got, the closest I ever got to completing my sticker book. And the one man that I was missing, I don't think I've ever told you this, was Morris Malpass. So I'm kind of taking this as a, as a, you know, as a completion of my sticker book that I've managed to get you on the podcast. You've not got any old stickers kicking about the house? No, I don't think so. Uh... I'll probably use them to keep the kids away from the fire. And <laughs> uh, that was a long, long time ago. You were kidding on your primary school. I was. I just left secondary school at the time. <laughs> maybe I was at secondary school. Maybe I was a saddle at the back in fourth year collecting the Perini stickers. Morris, let's. Um, well, you spent nearly, nearly five years plus as Callie Thistle assistant manager but I think it'd be a bit of a shame to, to gloss over a, a quite incredible playing career we did this with Craig Brewster a few weeks ago 
where we we spoke to Craig for you know a bit of time about his his two spells as Cali manager, but you know not often you got a, a, you know a Scottish Cup goal scoring winner on the on the on the podcast and you know a, a kind of glittering playing career. You're you're much the same as well. Seven hundred and seventeen Dundee United appearances between seventy nine and two thousand. Two World Cup appearances for Scotland, one Euros, 55 caps, a Premier League winner, a Hall of Famer, a Scottish Cup winner as well. Quite an incredible playing career. Uh, well, I was going to ask you to sum up your, your Dundee United spell. Just what a what a terrific career you had at Dundee United. Can, how can you sum up your, your spell as, as an Arab? Enjoyable. As simple as that. Um, I went to the club joined the club uh, from school where I went to I was part time because I went to college I studied in electrical and electronic engineering my dad made sure I had something behind me in case I never made it in football I never enjoyed it because um, I've been five years at college and then went full time I was actually capped as a as a part timer um, I got capped the night before I got married which was a fantastic weekend I like used to say what the best bit of the weekend was. <laughs> uh, but it was one of the things you I enjoyed uh, obviously I was at Tanner, only I only played at Tanner, so obviously I enjoyed it. Enjoyed the style of play, I enjoyed uh, the camaraderie of the dressing room which was fantastic. I enjoyed staying in uh Money Fief. Had a great family life. Um you know, so obviously I, I was lucky that every season I played in Europe until the last three or four seasons um, and I was fortunate enough to get capped you know Jokstein's capped me so I had a massive feather in my cap a man of his calibre thought I was good enough to play for Scotland and I can remember after my, deb- my debut against France I said to him in the dress room that I was, oh, this is too, too much for me I'll never make this and I got a wing in the back of the year and told that I'll probably never play against a better team in my career. France went on to win the European Championships in 84 uh, and no, big joke was spot on. I never played against a better team. Uh, but I had a great time. Even, you know, a lot of strange things in football. But just, to sum it up really, I just really enjoyed my, my, my football. Um, I was never really a materialistic person. I just wanted to play football. I was a wee boy for Fife, village in Fife. I was desperate to play. I got a chance to play. And by hook or by crook, I kept on playing. Uh, I was I was well in the 800 games, by the way. Uh, so you could say I was lucky as well because I never had any serious injuries. Um, never had any really serious setbacks. It was just a career that started off thinking I would maybe get one or two games and then it went one or two seasons and then it went well 20 odd seasons and I enjoyed every one of them You mentioned there Jock Steen uh, an incredible manager a legend legendary manager uh, in terms of not only Scottish football but world football when we talk about legendary managers in the last week we've obviously seen the uh, ill-timed death of, of another legendary manager Jim McLean someone who well you only knew one well you you, you didn't know one no uh, you only had I was going to say you only had one manager but you uh, your, your first manager at Dundee United 
uh, quite an incredible character. Um, talk, talk to us about Jim McLean because Jim McLean is and will always be a, a legend at Dundee United and indeed in Scottish football. But you worked with him so closely for the best part of what, nearly, nearly 15, 16 years? Uh, probably longer than that, Ian. In 70, I, left, I joined in 79, but I'd been going up to Paddy's on the holidays, school holidays, for maybe a, a year before that. So 78 till 98, whatever it was, 99 I left, or 98, so 20 years, I had 20 years. Yeah. Quite, a, quite an incredible guy, though. Oh, in terms of the, the football, was miles in front of his time. You know, he was a forward thinker. Um, we were doing plyometrics, which is uh, the buzzword just now for uh, leg strength and stuff like that. We had uh, a sports scientist who came in. Um, we had a sports psychologist, although he wasn't called, called a sports psychologist then, he was just a psychologist. Came in with a dietitian, Ron Mon from Aberdeen University, came and uh, all of the the diet, diet requirements at the club and what the players had to have at home. You know, we're talking about the early 80s here. Mm-hmm. Hey, Jim McLean of Dundee United got ridiculed for some of the, the things, you know, having a, a nutritionist. You know, uh, basic things like, you know, cutting bread, stuff like that. People laughed at us. Now it's a norm nowadays. Sports scientists, the norm nowadays. Uh, clubs are a bit virtually run by sports scientists, um, psychologists, and he would watch South American football. Jim McLean had a salad dish in the back of his garden, or it was the back of his garden, it was that, that large to pick up the games, and he came in with different wee things that he'd picked up from the games, and he tried it in training, and if it worked, it was put into the match. If it didn't work, well, it was just put aside. Uh, you know, he was he was always thinking things like that. Tactically, he wanted players and his kids. We had to learn to play in more than one position. Tactically, he wanted players that could play any place. He could change change the team at the drop of a hat. Move everybody or move three or four guys about to see if it would help the team perform. So he wanted people that could play different positions. He wanted people that they understood what we were trying to do, he didn't, you know, he wanted guys who had a clue about the tactics he was using, so he had to learn a wee bit of the game, um, and he wanted the de- determined people, he wanted people who were strong-willed, and you had to be strong-willed because he ruled the dressing room, he ruled the football club, forget about the dressing room, he ruled the football club, directors included, <laughs> by an iron fist. He bought you to get half a percent more out yet. Uh, you got bullet if you, even if you thought you'd played well because he, he was one year step up again the next game. Uh, and a lot of people couldn't handle that. It was you know, if I'm getting criticism when I'm playing well, what am I gonna like when I play poorly? But it was just that's how it was, that's how football was at the time as well. Mm-hmm. You know, the Jock Steams, the uh, Jim McLean's, the uh, Alex Ferguson's, the Eddie Turnbull's uh, John Prentice and that that's how football was run and you had to be thick skinned man enough to handle it and go on with it and if you got through that and you got a team that got through that 
was just played away. It was simple as that. It was uh, Jim McLean would say to us, you've got a job to do today and you've to entertain the crowd, but you've to entertain me. And that's how we judge a lot of things. You know, obviously, you would never entertain the crowd if you were getting beat, so you had to win. And then you had to win in a certain manner. And there was times we played poorly and obviously met met the result, which was great. Um, but if you, if you played well in the first half and never played well in the second half, there was an interest. Because he wanted you to play well all the time. He wanted the fans to be happy. Um, and he wanted to play football that was, you know, the opposition goalkeeper was the busiest player in, in their team. He mm-hmm. wanted us to, you know, you had to get penetration, you had to get width, you had to get crosses, you had to get shots. Um, and you had to do it constantly. Uh, and the majority of players that played at that time loved that mentality, I loved how they played, how we played, and we just won it. It was, it was a joy to play. I never, never ever bred it playing any place. I knew, um, even abroad playing against the top teams, you never ever dreaded that because you knew there would be a game plan that we could handle and it would make it difficult for our team to handle. The Dundee United team of the of the the eighties, I suppose, you were a, a big part of that success that they had. I mean, quite an incredible success as well. And we talked off Mike about you know Jim McLean and his legacy. Obviously, in the last you know in the in the last week or so, there's been a lot of stories and. You know, there are, he, he seemed a very tough but fair individual. There's, you know, obviously uh, the John Barnes interview for the BBC back in uh, 2000 gets brought up sometimes when Jim McLean's mentioned as well. But but when you when you go past that, his personality, the off you know off field uh, incidents. When you look at the on field achievements as well, the you know the the, the European Cup, uh, the UEFA Cup final, beating Barcelona home and away, the winning the the league title itself. Uh, in the early 80s as well I mean quite a magnificent time to be a Dundee United fan and as you said there as well they, they, your job was to send the United fans home happy and by God they're, they're, you know <laughs> they must have been uh, ecstatic during that during that period well that was, I think that period was a, obviously the best thing for the club but it was the best thing for him as well um, we got the United won two week cups um, 79 80 uh, I think I was a difference here because I just joined the club in 79 but never even got a ticket for the final because <laughs> uh, we were just young bucks um, but uh, that era was just so special because Jim McLean took a, a group of players who were probably above average individually you know yeah, if you take them David Neary was a fantastic player, far mm-hmm. better than above average. Paul Sturrock was far better than above average. But if you take the rest of us, we're probably above average. Um, and he developed a mentality which was us against him. Um, he developed a system of play which was uh, pace and width and crosses uh, and defending. And he developed a mentality that, well, we could beat anybody. And when you, you sit back and analyse a team like Dundee United, Jim McLean called Dundee United the corner shop. <laughs> and they went and won the league. They beat the you know, they beat the supermarkets, hammered the supermarkets that season. 
Uh, we went down to Parkhead and beat them 3 2, the five or six games to go in the season, and then we won every other game to, to, uh, to win the league. Well, I, 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 I wish I knew what the odds were for Bunyai to win the season that year. It would have been a lot. We could have been right wealthy if we put a few quid on that one. And then, obviously, to get to a year for the final, well, the following season after we won the league, we got to the semi final of the European Cup. Mm-hmm. Um, we beat by Roma. Uh, the referee was supposedly bought, but that kind of thing. But forget about that. But a team like Dundee United to get to the semi final of the European Cup, mm-hmm. that's another one that never happen again. Not a hope of happening again. Uh, and it wasn't as if we thought we'd done anything special that season we just went and beat teams that we played against us uh, and then the year for the year for one in 87 when we, we got to the final uh, we beat Barcelona you know a Barcelona player you could probably pick any one of them and there was the Lanarkers the Hugheses uh, you know the British ones that were there everybody sort of knew uh, they had a bigger wage than their team had put together you know a player in that team and United won home and away unfortunately they got beat in the UEFA final against Gothenburg probably a very bad luck running their legs maybe whatever they got beat um, and for Bund United to get to so many cup finals in that decade as well it was scary we never mm-hmm. won any and we won it in the 90s but Jim had uh, he was chairman by that thing yep but just sitting here speaking about a, a Dundee United team okay they can win a league cup they can win a Scottish cup because teams have got a slight chance of that it's, you know four or five games you can be lucky I suppose mm-hmm. but to go and win a league uh, a club like Dundee United uh, and to get to the semi-final of the European Cup the following year and to get to the final of the UEFA and um, two or three years after that that's just phenomenal for me um, and as I said it was Jim McLean's guidance courage beans weapons however <laughs> you want to put that he got some from us that got us through um, and I said our strongest part of your team is our mentality and our camaraderie um, if somebody was having a poor game other, other guys chipped in to, to get them through it mentally uh, and I say it was a fantastic team to play play in it was a task, fantastic team to play with in terms of you, you know the buddies we still have golf rounds now and there's still 12, 13 guys for not so we're close are we it was just a fantastic error for Someone like me playing, that, that was me, I just started playing, I was lucky I started playing 81 um, and I had all that in front of me, uh, plus my international stuff, it was, it just beggars us to believe that something like that could happen to a provisional club like Dundee United and I say I'll never, I could safely say I'll never happen again. Yeah, I mean the way the way football's going it, it looks difficult isn't it, I mean um, you mentioned there your international career you you played at two World Cup finals one European Championships as well 86 and 90 World Cups uh, and it's it's I was reading a story actually this was from earlier in the year 
uh, an article with yourself in the, in the Courier down in Dundee and I thought it was brilliant and, and it, it keeps with the Jim McLean reference as well um, you played Costa Rica as we all know uh, Costa Rica beat Scotland I, I, I know I feel really bad for doing that but we all know what happened now there was a, a bit of a, a fan reaction and you were expecting a phone call from your wife and instead you got a phone call from Jim McLean that must have been a, a a bit of a surprise, shall we say? Well, after the game, there was a bit of hassle. Obviously, um, the Scottish fans were happy that we got beat from Costa Rica. Everybody thought Costa Rica were um, a pretty mm-hmm. weak kind, uh, and they were actually quite good. But as everybody knows, lost the game, uh, and how how it happened was. We'd, we'd worked as a group under Oxford, I'd worked with a group about, you know, with the channel living in the midfield, you know, I, I played full back. Never ever, I never showed anybody in, inside of my career at Paradise because I would have been shot. If Jim had seen me showing somebody in inside, I would have been shot. I was shown about the outside, but Andy Oxford wanted everything inside. Get every, everything passed in. Roy Aiken was a centre midfield, big mm-hmm. ball, sort everybody out. So that was it. Away we went and played. Guy gets the ball, showed him inside, big Roy was not there. The guy won maybe 20 yards and hit the centre with 30 yards and it pinged into the bottom corner. So after the game, Passel getting in the bus, and I get back to the, to the hotel um, and I'd become. Or, I had a, Maria had a wee girl just before I went away. Mm-hmm. So um, she was she had planned to. There wasn't any mobiles at that time. Let me tell you about that. There was no mobiles at that time. She planned to phone the hotel um, after the game uh, so I could get a chat. Mm-hmm. So that was it. Back to the hotel. We were getting back to the hotel. Um, we were sitting having a meal and. Somebody came in and says, Morris, that's a phone call for you. So I skipped away the phone thing that was going in the rear. And I got a car that grumpy voice on the end of the phone. <laughs> if you ever show somebody inside again, don't come back. And put the phone down on me. He had phoned. Give me a tongue washing and slammed the phone down on me. That was, you know, that was how he was. <laughs> <laughs> I was getting the dumbstruck. I was going, no, what on, dear? Because I was expecting Maria. I was expecting a nice, cheery voice. See, the wee one was getting on stuff like that. Uh, that but I had my material life. And I think the time Maria did get through, I was, you know, the wind had been knocked out my sails. I know we'd go beat, but, you know, if, when your wife has a wee, uh, a wee girl just before you go and you're desperate to, to hear her and see, hear how the wee one's getting on, you know, the, I was up for that, but we jumped up the, the window at my sails just by picking the phone up and saying, no, that's not right. Now, I remember sitting and saying to Andy Roxbury after the game, and I just had a roll in from the manager. And he said, I can't believe that. I can't believe it. That's what it was. It was intense. He wanted you to do well because it was good from the club's point of view. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you want me doing too well, it was bad from the club's point of view. Um, I had to actually phone them back so the next day and say, well, by the way, that's team, team plans, you know. 
you know, they get fun of a done with you told me. And he saw they calmed down, but uh-huh. your manager, they phoned up. The rest of the boys took the mic out now because, you know, none of their managers phoned up and complained about it. But nice, did Brilliant, but that 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 just shows how much he how much he cares, you know. And, and okay, yeah, he he wants to you know a, a player representing the club to do well, but also the, the country as well. Um, like I say, you you went on to play in the the Euros ninety ninety four. You win the Scottish Cup for the first time. We spoke to Craig Brewster a few weeks ago on the on the podcast. He scored the the winner. Um, a nice feeling lifting that that Scottish Cup. I mean, there's a lot of people that. You know, obviously, well, you've done, you've you've lifted the the Premier Division title uh, back in the eighties, but as you mentioned, there United had a bit of a was that their their first Scottish Cup victory? Am I right in saying that? Yeah, yeah that was the first one. I think I played. I think that was my fifth. Right. Scottish Cup final. Uh, I think in the eighties we played just about every year in the Scottish Cup final and got beat, obviously. So mm-hmm. yeah, we were playing Rangers. Obviously, a Hamden uh, Rangers were going for a double treble, which doesn't seem good. But now, uh, it at the time, uh, Ivan Rolak was a manager who was completely different. Tom Cheese to Jim McLean. Mm-hmm. Um, he had the players so relaxed it was scary. Um, we got a rubber there, got a break of the ball, and Big Craigie squashed it in for 15 yards. Um, and before we knew it, the final whistle went and we won the cup. It wasn't the best we'd played. Uh, or I could say that as a player. I'd played most of the cup finals before that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was one of the occasions that it was meant to be. It was our cup. And what a fantastic uh, week, weekend or a week or a fortnight. Uh, <laughs> somebody will have to tell me what it was because we certainly enjoyed ourselves. <laughs> Well, that's the way it should be. That's the way it should be. Now, you you mentioned there, obviously your, you know your spell at at, at Dundee United, uh, quite an incredible uh, length of time you had at the club. You you started coaching uh, early nineties, and that am I right in saying ninety one? You kind of you took you were a player coach. You, you started helping out with kind of youth team activities and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, Jim McLean came and asked, not just me, a few guys in the dressing room, if we'd like to help. Um, Kenny Cameron, no, no, Callie's uh, Kenny Cameron. <laughs> Kenny Cameron uh, was the head of the, wasn't it, academy? It was head of the S forms, mm-hmm. um, and he used to train. Dundee had got a, an Arsenal pitch, right, uh, right next to Tardis. Mm-hmm. Kids trained, trained there two or three nights a week, and the manager came and asked if anybody liked to to go and help Kenny. Uh, so I thought, I'll have a shot at this, wasn't I very sure, I never really thought about it, I was only um, mid to late 20s, and found that I quite enjoyed it, uh, so that, I sort of moved on a couple of years after that, and started helping the youth team, uh, taking the youth team, stuff like that, but under no pressure at all, because my main job was still playing on the first team, mm-hmm. uh, so... I got the best of both worlds. That, you know, obviously Jim McLean was there, so he, he would give you a bit of advice in terms of coaching things and size of pitches. And you know, I had Gordon Wallace there, who was a coach who was fantastic, absolute fantastic for me. He would let me take the kids up to the training ground in the afternoon, and I could take the training. It was my training session, and he would come in 
give me a bit of advice, you know, basic things. You know, your pitch is too big, your pitch is too small. They're not working hard enough, they are, they're working too hard, stuff like that. And mm-hmm. you think about this, you know, you give them variations, and Gordon would give me more variations. So the next time you've done it, you put that into it. Um, and then Jim McLean, after Ivan, well, Jim McLean retired. I was coaching, I was virtually helping with the first team then, and still playing. Mm-hmm. Ivan Golak came, so it was myself and Gordon Wallace. Gordon Wallace was the assistant manager, myself. Uh, took a lot of the reserve games. Um, and then Billy Kirkwood came, uh, um, became assistant manager, him, but I was still playing, that was my main job. Uh, and then after Billy, it was um, Tom McLean came. And I learned a fair bit of Tom McLean. He was at the same mould uh, as Jim McLean. Mm-hmm. So I learned a, a few things off him, especially about team shape and that. He was fantastic about that. And then before, before I knew it, my career was sort of finished. And um, Alex Smith came. I was coaching, but I'd lost a wee bit of bug to play. Uh, I was struggling to play. I ended up taking the reserves. I ended up playing with the reserves to help them through it. Uh, I enjoyed that that much. I actually played well enough. I played myself back in the first team for for a few months near the end of my career. So, and the coaching it was something I done to start with. Just to say, oh, let's go and have a shot. Never had any great intentions of being a coach or a manager. And that. I never even thought about that. As a younger player, mid twenties, you never really thought about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was something I enjoyed. I, I was lucky to work with people who. They're really good at their job, and but they're really good, you know, coaches or teachers or coaches, as well as teachers as players. Uh, but, you know, Gordon Wallace would sit in the afternoon. You know, there's you got twenty, you twenty players on their session, and do it in this. And you would do your session, and it would come say right then. You've only seventeen. Sorry, three guys are injured. Adjust your session. You've got five minutes. He says, because that's what coaching's all about. Mm-hmm. You know, you sit and do your thing in the morning, and then by the time you get up to the park, somebody hasn't come in, they've, been, they've got the cold, and you know, their kids are sick, and you know, you've got to adjust. And Tom Ross was fantastic at that for me, and it was, you know, I really enjoyed the coaching. And obviously, when I finished playing, that's what I wanted to do was, was the coaching. Am I right in saying that it was at Tanadice in the coaching setup that you kind of first? Started your relationship with a certain Mr. Butcher. Yeah. Uh, I'd never really met Terry before he came up to Tannadice. Tom McLean brought him in to take the reserves of uh, the youth team. Uh, as I said, I was coaching at the time, and so in the afternoons I would go away and help Terry um, in the afternoons. And we just hit it off. Mm hmm. Uh, got a fair bit of banter between us, you know, the Scotland and England thing, uh, all that. Just became enjoyable. He left, he went away down to Motherwell with Eric Black. He was assistant to Eric Black. Of course, yeah. Um, and then when Eric left, uh, Terry tried to get Alex Smith, but Alex Smith uh, said no. And then he phoned me. Dad, I just finished playing, really. Uh, went in for an infamous interview 
uh, his house had a couple of bottles of wine uh, seemed to like the wine so that was it uh, I think the next week I was into Fur Park and it was just one of the things that the two years got on well we got on well off the pitch that yeah. helped us um, we thought the same way we brought up the same in the same sort of coaching methods you know Bobby Robson and Jim McLean but you know in the same mould mm-hmm. how they thought about the game you know how they wanted the game played how they wanted players and that kind of stuff uh, you know so for the football side it was a doddle I, and I I liked the coaching I was dead into the coaching which suited Terry Terry let me go on with it um, and the two years you know it was just one of the things we could batter things about the, the office and then he would decide and that was it whether disagreements but once we got to the office that was it we seen the game the same there was never any hassle how we've seen a match uh, and I you know I got a long bit of rope with Terry I could do this thing I want it he would occasionally say right we need to work on this or I want to work on this um, he'd probably say that to me in an afternoon and it was I'd done something for the next day spoke to him about it and he just let me go on with it so uh, we had a good time we had a good laugh off the pitch we had a good laugh on the pitch mm-hmm. on the training pitch there was a fair bit of banner um, and it was something you know I think it relaxed a lot of the players at times because they'd seen us having a carry on you know, five, up in Inverness, it was five years of uh, absolute enjoyment. Yeah, because you have that time at Motherwell together, as you say, and then <clears throat> January 2009, you got the call to join Terry uh, at Cali Thistle. Can you remember that, that kind of call you had with Terry prior to him taking the, the Cali Thistle job, and was that a, was that a no-brainer from your, from your side of things? Uh, Terry had enough of me and uh, Motherwell so he went away to Australia for a that's year right, that's right um, I became Motherwell manager left after about a season um, and I went I was. I became manager of Swindon mm-hmm. so when I was in Swindon I stayed in Marlborough which is just a long name for where Terry stayed Terry had come back from Australia and was manager at Brentford mm-hmm. So we stayed maybe 50, 60 miles apart. Um, he left Brentford and I left swimming quite soon after that. So the two of us were sitting doing nothing uh, and I got a phone call. Uh, you fancy coming up to Inverness? Ah, okay. Right. You know, you, you've got an hour and a half to get here. We need to be at the airport for such and such a time. We're on a you know, we got a flight up. That was it. <laughs> Jumped in a, a plane up to Inverness. Uh, I don't know if negotiated the, the terms of the right way of putting it, but it was all done and dusted very quickly. Um, and we're five, uh, five or nearly five great years there. A fantastic time up there as well. Yeah, because you, you start that season. In fact, I remember the first game vividly, the nil-nil draw with. Gordon Strachan and Celtic in your in your first game in, in charge. Um and there was a I mean there was a massive hype at the time, but 
Terry's arrival, you know, big name in the um, in the Highlands, and there was a bit of optimism um, around, you know, the club were bottom of the table at the time, and there was a bit of optimism, and and, and certainly a bit of uh, enthusiasm was injected into 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 the team, and you know, you took it down to the very last day, and, and unfortunately, you know, didn't things didn't go the the club's way against Falkirk in that last day of the season, but. How did you and Terry go about kind of lifting the the, the spirits and, and trying to, to keep the club up? How we lifted the the, the spirits in the dressing room was probably a part of that was the banter me and Terry had going, mm-hmm. um, and you know Terry Terry's man manager was different class. How he, how he said things to people and got them to believe in things and. Uh, as a group of players, you know, we worked hard in shape and that. Uh, tried, tried to make it quite simple, uh, and we got a big, you know, we got a big response at the start, and then, you know, probably lost a couple of games we shouldn't have lost, and end of the season, you know, got relegated by by a goal. But you know, in hindsight, it might have been the best thing that happened for us because we, we were virtually. Allowed to clear the, you know, clear the place and start again. Finished virtually cleared all the kids bar Graham Shinney and uh, Nick Ross, mm-hmm. um, and he got a grip of the older players and told them what he was expecting from them. Um, guys like me, Johnny Hayes came up, and we just I can remember the pre-season panicking because we hardly had a team you know we started to play pre-season games and we, <laughs> we didn't have enough bodies to really go and play two or three games in the one week like you do in pre-season mm-hmm. there was guys coming in you know it was at the halfway house there was guys coming in and going you know trailers coming up and then we went away started the season poorly couldn't score for loving our money we were getting a bit Responding to our two selves, and then I'll never forget that a Dunfermline player fucked the ball off Adam Looney, the high backside, and dropped, and Adam pinged it into the top corner. And I think Adam went 10 or 12 games on the bounce, scoring. The team started scoring for fun, uh, and we got, we, got, we got promoted, you know, that season. Adam went through a spell that if he was running through one on one with the goalkeeper, I went and sat in the dugout. I knew he was going to score. We just had that belief, you know. Uh, it was strange for you to go for one one team who had great ability, but just never had that need bit extra to, to the next team who probably were any better, definitely were any better in terms of ability, but. They got that break, they got that belief, and before we knew where we were, we were back in the Premier League. That, that season was quite an incredible season because Dundee were spending a lot of money and Dundee were the favourites. Ross County were also kind of there or thereabouts. They had a fantastic season reaching the cup final, but you know, you're right, there was a kind of slow start to the season that year, and then round about kind of October time, it just, I mean, it, you know, the, the, the club, the team, just went on this incredible run. You mentioned Adam Rooney there, Johnny Hayes, Richie Foran as a front three. They were they were pretty uh, fearsome, and and scored you know a, a tremendous amount of goals that season. 
what are your recollections of that season? Because obviously it ends with a trophy, it ends in success as well. But there was a lot of. I mean, we've spoke to a few of the of the you know the guys that were involved in the you know the the air bus back, for example. But you know, what are your recollections and memories of that season, which ultimately was a was a fantastic season? It was. I think I think that the thing that I learned the most was how how much a change you can see in players when they get a bit a bit of confidence, they get a bit of belief, they get. It's nothing about ability. It was nothing about determination. You know, the team that got relegated, they had plenty of ability and had plenty of determination. But by hook or by crook, things never worked out. And we went to the next season, and I say we started with a team that was <laughs> probably below average. We were at that stage. Uh, Johnny Hayes came up, and it took us. It took me months to get easy fit. He had never played, he'd never heard about footballers playing twice a week. You know, he'd been in that closet in England. Uh, we only play once a week. It's only good for you if you play once a week. Well, we were playing twice a week in the in the championship. Never seen to get a rest. So it took him a, a wee while to set up. Uh, with Aaron Dorrance, he was a revelation. Once we got him fit, he was a, a, a thorn in a lot of people's sides. Um, with Adam Rooney who just couldn't stop scoring with Andy Shinney who had a wee bit of something different mm-hmm. special uh, with Richie Ferran who was the best pound for pound by that myself and Terry ever had you know a couple of clubs were up he was fantastic uh, he was fantastic at Motherwell for us but he was fantastic up at Inverness uh, he got that spirit in the dressing room uh, going and it was one of the things that before we knew it we were on that point of winning the league I can remember Dundee were playing Rafe Rovers and for some reason I couldn't go can't remember why because uh, I used to go I used to go and watch all, as many games as I could you know, mm-hmm. I got the game scout that with a, a, a scout that went to watch the games and my support's not but um, I would I like to go and watch the game, so I couldn't get that night. And I said, we sent one of Terry, Terry's mate went, and it was not do with scouting the game. We just wanted to get the, you know, the score. Uh, and before we realised that, never expected them to beat the us. It never happened. And I think on the Saturday night, we just needed to be upright. And that was the league done and dusted. The league was done and dusted. We went down to the Air United, the infamous bus trip. That, you know, it, was, it was better than what everybody has been told. Uh, and as I say before, before we knew it, that was in the Premier League. The, the, the season started slow, as you said, but you know, it picked up quickly and it was fine at the end. The games just they couldn't have come quick enough for us. We were desperate to play. The boys were desperate to play. The boys had a belief. Um, if somebody got injured, somebody came in and done great. Uh, and it was one of these seasons you never really got any major injuries. Yeah. If, I, if I remember that correctly, and it was done, bang. Let's go and play in the Premier League. I remember probably the last few months of that season. I mean, um, I saw every emotion of, of Terry after the game. I remember one game, was at Dens Park, I think, in the March that year. Cali Thistle were 2-0 up and it was going to be a you know a real big win in the title race and Dundee came back to draw. 
two each and I saw him absolutely livid after that game and then fast forward a couple of weeks he's you know in the stand at air um, you know doing his, his, his post-match uh, victory speech to the supporters on the pitch you'll have seen every emotion of, of Terry you know during during games during you know during um, during the week how how difficult is it to to, to keep him uh, to keep him in check because you know there's a few times I've seen you on the sidelines you know when he's well the Derek Adams incidents over the years as well I mean you'll have had your hands full but uh, I suppose that's the that, that's that's Terry Butcher isn't he? he's a very very passionate very emotional guy yeah I understand Terry his biggest asset is his passion doesn't matter what he does in life he's he does it with a passion uh, and the football um Obviously, his biggest goal is to get his team promoted. His biggest goal is to see his team win. Um, and if they never won, when he thought they should have, his emotions shone through. Uh, and there was times that you tried to uh, calm him down a wee bit before you go to the dressing room. That really worked because... <laughs> Once you got in the dressing room, somebody maybe said something and that was him. Um, and on another foot as well, if you'd won the game, you know, you'd, you'd try to keep the dressing room on an even keel and you know, Terry would come in high as a kite, so <laughs> you, you sort of lost the argument as well. Um, but that's, I say, that's how Terry, Terry, Terry is. You know, he's an emotional person, passionate to anything he does passionate about his team, passionate about the players, he loved the players, he, he wouldn't have anybody saying against the players, he, he hated that, uh, and he would stick that chest it and away he went, stick the finger in your face and shout at you, um, but that's, I got to the stage, I, I sort of gave in, try to keep him calm, or, you know, you maybe have, very rarely had to lift him, um, but I, 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 <laughs> I learned after the game, stay away from him, because it, <laughs> He battered me at um, Motherwell. He, he turned and threw something at me and it hit me in the chest. But I was that close to him, I was in bits, I was in agony, but I couldn't show the boys that. So I learned quickly from that, keep away from him after a game when he's emotional. Uh, and don't stand too near him in the dugout in case you got a hook, you know, when he jumped up and started pointing at the referee and everything like that. The guys either side of him normally got an elbow in the face, so and I used to go and sit up at Inverness, I used to go and sit in the wall in front of the dugout. That's right, that's and, right, I remember that. And yeah. and rave there, and uh, I would get slightly told to get back inside the dugout so he could get a shot at it. Um, but that was it, the, the two years, I say, were going well. I just tried to keep it his way when I seen he was getting a bit emotional, when he was having to go at a player. It was my job to go and pick the player up after he had said something. That's what I've done. You know, at the start, I, I thought I could solve every problem, but I quickly realised that trying to keep Terry calm was, on an even keel, was now impossible. Yeah, because I think the it's a cliche, isn't it? The good cop, bad cop, as an assistant manager and manager, and you know, I've I've not I've never never been privy to any. Uh, you know, shouts from from Terry or a shouting match, or whatever. But I've heard them on the other side of the wall. But I've spoke to a lot of guys that have, that have played under him, and I think it's you know, he, yes, he could raise his voice and he could point the finger in the face and, and shout and scream. But 
he also had that side to him as well where you know he, there, there, were, there was always praise if the players had done well so it's, it's, a, it's a fine balance isn't it yeah yeah I think nowadays you can't have one without the other mm-hmm. if you're going to give them stick you've got to give them praise and Eric could give them stick uh, but he definitely could give them praise after a, you know after a victory and he'd enjoy watching the team by God that he give them praise and he praised everybody and he praised them up you know up close it wasn't one of the ones a wee quiet voice in the corner he was up close to them you know telling them how what they've done well and how the team had played well let's take that to the next week and you could see a lot of the guys especially that team that uh, got promoted you could see a lot of them you know their chests were out after he had finished speaking to them uh, and he would keep it going during the week as well he would uh, he was really good at that you mentioned a guy earlier on there, uh, and I want to talk to him about because 2010 he kind of emerges on the scene, and he, I mean, he's well, he's now playing his football in the English Championship. Graham Shinney, someone who you know yourself and Terry threw into the team, had confidence in. I remember actually, I think Kenny Gilly started his left back that season, but but Graham Shinney come in and eventually made that spot his own, um, and and would for for several years his left back. He he, he obviously now. He can play in the well. He plays tends to play in the in the middle of the park now. But as a as a left back yourself, did you you know take a, a bit of an extra interest in in Graham when he was coming through? Well, you you know the kids was one of the things that uh, would help me get through the week. You go and watch the youth team play, and even if they got beat, you always see one or two guys who who were doing well and they were progressing. And that I said, Graham Shinney was one of the ones who. And I've said this to his face, I've said this to his parents, so you were going for the raw ability. It was probably quite poor. But if you were going for determination and grit and will, oh, he was in the Terry Butcher category. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's saying what I thought of Graham Shinney as a player. He just kept on yeah, egging away at him. The typical young kid came to the team and wanted to do everything. Uh, wanted to be a winger or wanted to do this wanted to find passes every place we just try to get him to defend he had a great temperament he had a great fitness he had a great, great drive he was never the quickest but very very rarely got beat the pace um, and once he got on the team he turned the performances he just couldn't you know it was a case that well you're just going to stay there he's done fantastic for for us Inverness moved to Aberdeen done fantastic up at Aberdeen although they, they moved on to midfield mm-hmm. I keep on telling Graham that not too many players can play a full career as left back you know you've built it because it's so difficult uh, and he's doing a turn down in, you know he's at Darby now that's right aye and fantastic for him uh, you know I tend to follow some of the players that I've dealt with and Graham Shin is definitely one of the ones that you can, uh, I try and follow. His parents are fantastic. They uh, they helped us mm-hmm. because we could speak to them and they could speak to Graham. And I think it helped when his brother came to um, this as well. I think it helped. It helped when he was there. Uh, somebody could come to um, the dressing room. And he was 
he was without doubt one of the, the major successes of your time at Inverness. You're right, Andrew Shinney um, joins in 2011 and he he has a, a good first season. The second season's probably even better. Himself and, and Billy McKay kind of really come into their own. Um, that season, Cali Thistle make the top six for the first time in the club's history. Very nearly make a, a League Cup final, uh, beaten on penalties by, by Hearts at Easter Road. Uh, that season is, is, well, that's your last full season at the club, if you like. Uh, again, quite a really successful season. But the during the summer, there was a obviously a lot made at the football club because there was a lot of players uh, moved on and then the, the likes of um, well Ross Straper, Gary Warren, David Raven are the kind of the standout ones that arrived that summer. Um, Steve Marcella had kind of identified them down in England and, and are brought to the club and well, when you look at those three guys and take these three guys in isolation, okay one of them plays in the Scottish Cup final but the other two are very unlucky not to play in the Scottish Cup final but those three guys and a few others as well, you mentioned Aaron Doran earlier on, are kind of pivotal as the, as the club reaches success in further years as well. So that, that must please you as well, seeing you know these guys get brought in and they go on to, to kind of achieve Scottish Cup success in a few years' time. Yeah, as you, as you said, that season that we, we finished in the top six was a massive, massive achievement for Everness. Massive. Um, you know the players have been fantastic, but the biggest thing for us was that it allowed us to sell the club to new players. You know, prior to that, it was difficult. You know, Inverness are well, sometimes in the Premier League, sometimes in the Championship. Never got near a final um, up up to that season. Uh, you know. <laughs> It's shocking to say this, but when we brought players up to Inverness, we very rarely, rarely showed them the training ground <laughs> because they would just laugh at us. Yep. Very rarely took them into the stadium and really showed them the stadium, took them into the office, took them to the chairman's office because that was the warmest. <laughs> of course. Uh, Kenny, Kenny loved the heating. <laughs> we, sold, we sold the club by selling the, the city to the player and the farmer. You know, it was easy for us because we were we were outsiders as well. Yeah, we you know we had a great time there. We enjoyed it there. But we sold the city. Um, you know, Skillen's great. You know, you hassle. You go for a meal at night. You can do this. You can do that. You've got the Highlands. You've got this. You can fly. You know, that time we were sponsored with Fly B. We could mm-hmm. organise flights for the players to get back home and take their wife and kids down to see their parents and stuff like that. Never a hassle. And then that season, you know, after that we'd got the top six and we'd got to the, the final of the cup, um, well, the, the semi-finals, uh, that summer was a doddle for us to get played. The roster acres in this world, they were playing, they were playing at teams that similar to, you know, the, the Ember Messies. And they were struggling, what league they're going to be in, they're going to be at the top league, they're going to be at the bottom of the league, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. We had seen a team that had got in the top six. We are going to be in the TV a lot, you know, playing Celtic Rangers. And Jim McLean used to say to us, you know, you'll get judged how you play against Celtic Rangers, so make sure you're, you're ready for it. So we used to sell that to the, the players as well. I mean, we lads, we play Celtic Rangers, you know, eight times in the season. 
speaking to, to Terry at the cup final and he was you know there was a real sense of, of pride um, from him as well not, not only the club but, but players they'd worked with you know seeing them uh, at this level and, and winning trophies as well you mentioned there that you leave the club November 2013 uh, Terry uh, Butcher this, uh, well Hibs came in for Terry and, and uh, there was a, obviously a lot of off-field um shenanigans going on with Willie won't he but, but Terry did leave for Hibs in the end and it was a kind of strange the way football sometimes um, throws up these kind of strange uh, fixtures whilst board of directors are, are talking behind the scenes Cali Thistle played Hibs at Easter Road Cali Thistle beat Hibs at Easter Road you were in the, the away dugout in, in charge of, of Cali Thistle that day um, and, and Terry was in, the, was in the stands as he was about to be unveiled as, as Hibs manager from your own point of view, how difficult was that? And then, in the same token, was there ever a chance that you would take over from Terry uh, and become manager of Cali Thistle? Well, the, the, the day of the game at Easter Road was was probably one of the easiest talks I had to give. Uh, you know, I was trying to get the guys to realise that you know managers and coaches come and go, players stay, players are a big bit of the club. Um, uh, go and show what you can do. Forget about the paraphernalia that's behind the scenes. Um, and they went and played. They were fantastic. Uh, it was after the game. Uh, it was difficult for me after the game. But I can say, actually, cherry out the players. Mm-hmm. And I say they were being. On the day, for the money we got on the bus, for the money we got to the game, and they played the game, they were absolutely fantastic. Never any hassle, there was no any bother. Picked the team, got the team top, asked a player to get up, asked Richie Florent to get up and say something, and he did. Um, <clears throat> they won the game, and then after the game, you know, it, it was a crumbling card for me. 
Uh, emotionally, I struggled after the game. Saying cheerio. I knew that Kerry, or Kerry had taken the job at that time, I knew that I was going to go with Kerry. Mm-hmm. Um, I went back to the club and I was at the club for a few days. Kenny, Kenny Cameron was on chairman at the time. Kenny came to the house and uh, they offered me the job. And I said, look, I came with Terry, I'm going to go with Terry. And Kenny came and had another pop at me. And I had a hum and a haw. It's a great chance to manage myself. Right? I'd already been a manager at a couple of clubs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as everybody knows now, I left. Um, I, 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 I had the chance to, to stay. Uh, thought long and hard about it, but eventually I left. Maybe, you know, after four or five months, knew I'd made a bad choice. Because the things that I thought were going to be good weren't good. Mm-hmm. I moved. And I've touched on it there before, but, you know, I moved because Hibs had their own training ground. My, my big thing was coaching. I loved to coach. It was great. I could step out in the office into the, into the coaching part, coach, and then go back into the office. Um, I loved that. I thought I'd love that. I thought I'd go to a bunch of players that had the same commitment that what well, we got from the players at Inverness I went to a club a bigger club by far a bigger club one of the Edinburgh clubs mm-hmm. uh, I went got a bunch of players who never had the commitment that Inverness are. I found that I found that strange they're the best ever fantastic fantastic training centre uh, fantastic training pitches um, but made them soft but didn't really have that we go in them uh, so after a wee while I sort of said to myself I've made a mistake here but we've made a mistake uh, and the history says <laughs> we did make a mistake because we got relegated I was made a mistake because we got relegated um, and I was it you come back to Inverness in 2017 um, and it's a different different role this time um, and quite different, very different circumstances. We've mentioned Richie Foran a lot there, um, as a you know someone that you've you've coached, and he was captain at the club when you were there as well. But he was manager back in 2017, and I suppose that's a very difficult situation as well. Or, or you might tell me, you know, different. You're obviously, you know, your relationship with Richie as a as a coach and a player. You know, obviously a, a very good one as well. But then you're you're you know obviously you're coming back to help him out as a manager and, and ultimately that didn't end well as well how, how difficult was that as a, a situation well I got the phone call for Richie he um, he asked if I would come and help him because he just wanted a different voice mm-hmm. but not not a voice in the in the uh, the dressing room he just wanted a different voice in the in the office, in the manager's office, and he wanted me to be sit and watch a game and give an opinion of how he thought the team was playing, how he could maybe change. Um, and then when I went up, I'd go to the train and that, 
And it took me a wee while to realise what Richie was trying to do. You know, Richie was maybe trying to be too... too precise in how they played. You know, Richie's biggest asset as a player was getting the ball into the box for Richie to score goals. Mm -hmm. uh, but as a manager, he, he, he wanted to be probably too perfect in terms of he wanted nice set up passes and stuff like that. Uh, and they were struggling at the time. Uh, they picked up, picked up slightly, but um, uh, it didn't happen. And you know, that was difficult because I, I never really had any great input. Uh, you know, Brian Rice was there, Fletcher was there, Fletcher, you know, was trying his best, obviously, um, to to get the team to just change something. Um, so it was difficult for me to go up and see the team struggle and it was obviously difficult because it got relegated that year mm -hmm. it was difficult to see you know a lot of respect for it but it was difficult to see how he suffered in the dugout or suffered in the dressing nah, he didn't ever suffer in the dressing he suffered in the office you know I could see him try to pick a team and knowing that he wasn't very sure if that was his team. Stuff like that. And try to give him a bit of advice about stuff like that. Because it was hard for me because I knew him so well. Yeah. Richie's quite, <laughs> quite, quite strong minded. Yeah. Uh, and it was hard for me to be up there and see the team obviously get relegated, be a part of that. Uh, it, was, it was one of the things that, you know, you watch for it. The touchline, and you couldn't really do anything about it. You have that opinion, but um, it was just, you know, the team had got in that mindset, and we couldn't get them out of that mindset. Uh, some of the players wanted to. What, what probably shocked me the most is there was players that were there when I'd been there, mm -hmm. were completely different players. You know, I didn't want to name anybody, but their strengths when we were there. Had suddenly disappeared and they had other strengths that didn't suit them as a player. You know, say somebody that was, when we were there, was really strong in terms of his tackling and his running and that. And then when I went back up, he thought his strength was standing and passing. But I, I, I found that really difficult. And I found it difficult, <laughs> you know, to express my feelings, one to Richie and one to the player. How comes everything's changed so much? You know, but they're different managers. Something they say managers can leave an imprint on, or coaches can leave an imprint on players, and players getting away thinking how their man they think how their manager wants them to think. Um, and some people get that wrong, and a lot of the players, when I went back up, for me, they're not using their their true assets. Uh, from the time I'd originally been there to the time I went back up, their assets had changed, which I found difficult. Different players, I found that I found it difficult to give which advice on teams because I was thinking about previous uh, teams and players and what their biggest asset was for the team. But 
that was, it was no longer the case. So I found that difficult. I just found it difficult. It was a short space of time. Yeah, um, awkward, I, I suppose. It, I found it difficult uh, seeing the team struggle, seeing Richie struggle, um, change boy, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Richie was always quite happy-go-lucky and stuff like that in the dressing room. There was always a serious side of him when he went in the pitch, but you could see him, you know, the weight in his shoulders, the world every morning when he came in. I, I found that hard uh, to watch. And from my own point of view, I, I felt as though I let him down because I, I couldn't change his mindset. I, I couldn't help him. I found it difficult. Uh, and I felt, well, I felt a bit isolated because, as I say, I never really had a great... I couldn't find something that would make Richie change that might have helped the team change. And I, so, I, you know, it was... I run games that was... Frustrating to watch, um, and just a sad time. That was that's probably the time I can honestly say the last few games. But I never enjoyed my time up in number minutes. Yeah, it was a. Um, well, I was working for the club at the time. It was quite a frustrating and uh, time all round, and ultimately ended in you know in, in relegation, as we as we all know, and we we hope the club gets gets back. Um, as soon as as soon as they can. Um, looking back though, on your on your time in the in the Highlands, because what always struck me with yourself, Morris and and, and Terry, and your relationship you had together, he's always really loved it up here. I'm assuming that's you know the from your spell at your at Cali Thistle, that's something you'll take away is that kind of um, you know love of the the Highlands and your time here. You, you did you had a good time. I was fortunate. Yeah. When I was at Motherwell, uh, John Boyle was the chairman who was a fantastic because he never, never came near us. Managing director looked after us, uh, went to Inverness, um, seen the chairman every morning, uh, never bothered us. That has got their job. Um, virtually anything you ask for, we try to do, mm-hmm. which was great. Um, the city itself, uh, me and Maria had a fantastic time up there, never any hassle. We really, really enjoyed going out for meals and that at night time, never got any hassle. Uh, say that I thought we were reasonably successful at Inverness, which helps helps my enjoyment of the area. Uh, you know, I thought we were very, done a lot of positive things up there, got the team. Turned the team around, got them going decent, left them in a decent, a right decent uh, position. Never, the only downside I would see it in my mess, and people will laugh at me now, so it was 89 because I was up and doing the 89 like a fiddler's elbow. <laughs> uh, and I was, my biggest my biggest worry in my mess wasn't it getting beat on a Saturday, getting criticised in the pub, uh, getting ridiculed in the street. My my biggest worry in, in the mess was hitting a hitting a deer on the ninth because I was up and down the road that many times. <laughs> I'd one or two scares, and I was terrified I was going to scalp a deer. Um, I can't really talk enough highly enough about in the mess, you know, Calcutta Club Football Club. How I'll speak for myself, and I know Terry how I was treated. Um, 
everybody that worked at the club treated, treated me well, were prepared to help. Never had anybody who I could honestly say wasn't helpful. Um, and the city itself, we loved it. And I liked the area. We stayed across my Black Hill mm-hmm. and absolutely loved it. Our thought when we first went there would be back in Dundee a lot because we kept our house in Dundee. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was way about all the family used to come. We used to get some part of the family up every weekend. Uh, when, even if we were playing away from home and I was heading probably back to Dundee. <laughs> no, 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 we'll come and see you in the mess. Uh, and that was special, obviously. You know, get your family up in the bit all the time and you're that far away from home. Um, we just had a fantastic time. The football was great. The lifestyle away for the football was great. And it was just a fantastic time. You see, we just... Hindsight useless, isn't it? But maybe I left when I should have stayed. But I can honestly say I would... Anybody who's thinking about going to the Highlands, you know, think about... Uh, working up there, I'm batting for Inverness every every time. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised, Morris, that you said there you had a your 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 only concern was was hitting deer because I actually think you had a good record against the Staggies. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. I never hit one of them up there, but nothing until we got to the game. <laughs> that was another thing, you know. You talk about that. I don't know if you can have an enjoyable derby, but. That was enjoyable, you know. Um, made a good record against them, but it was one of the things that you were expecting to be quite hostile and mm-hmm. far from it. And I think that was just the way the Highlands was. Yeah. Well, I'd have team to win, but well, they weren't that bothered if their team won. A lot of people will say oh, that's not the case, we're desperate for their team to win, but compared to like the Dundee Derbies and the after then nah completely different you know it's just a different lifestyle up there as well mm-hmm. absolutely well Morris it's been brilliant thank you again for, for sparing um, the best part of an hour and a half to, to chat to me tonight uh, I mean as I said earlier on we could probably spend the whole time talking about you know your, your time at Dundee United and you know your time with Scotland as well Um but we, we, we tried to, to wedge in the, the Cali Thistle chat and keep it uh, Highland relevance but uh, it's good to chat with you again and, uh, and, and thanks again for sparing some time Nice to hear from you, take care